Do we need to text in the mornings about wardrobe? Because I don't really no. want to. This is why he's a world-class rugby enthusiast. He knows. You just look better than me. And you're and you smell like cinnamon. Who wants to run up to Squaw Peak? I know a lot of people that drive up to Squaw Peak. Yeah. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline for the first of two segments, which we are very much looking forward to, is one of the all-time BYU basketball greats, Yoli Childs via Zoom. Yoli, welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. Great to talk with you. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always a good time. Thank you. Yoli, last night on social media, you posted a very well-thought-out, eloquent message as it relates to Black Lives Matter and your experience at BYU and your experience growing up in a predominantly white community. Jeremy and I both were really blown away by that. We want to get into the emotion of that as we start this conversation. And uh, if you could, walk us through what you were feeling as you composed that message uh, that you sent out to essentially the world. Yeah, you know, first off, I just want to say thank you to everybody that, that really took the time to read that and, and hear out my story and part of my life. You know, I think that it says a lot just to be willing to listen. So, so thank you to everybody that's done that and is continuing to do that. But, um, you know, I didn't just type that up yesterday. I, I started writing that probably, you know, two weeks ago. And, um, I've had to make, I made a lot of changes to it because I was so concerned about, you know, letting off my message in the right way. You know, I didn't want to be offensive or uh, I didn't want it to divide, you know, um, the things going on in our country and the things going on in the history of our country, um, they bring a lot of, you know, a lot of emotions to black people. You know, I, I felt watching, you know, the, the killing of George Floyd, I felt so much anger, rage, sadness, pain. And I know a lot of us felt that as well. So, uh, you know, uh, I was saying earlier, it's it's one of those things that I've tried to learn through my experiences, especially my experience with the suspension at BYU, the importance of being able to, you know, put your initial raw emotions to the side and, you know, devise a plan of how can I express my feelings in the right way, in a way that's going to bring us together and not tear us apart. So uh, I just hope that, that people hear my story and, um, don't think uh, that I'm, I'm trying to do anything that I'm not. I'm really just trying to share my experiences and bring us together. But um, the, the response has been unbelievable. Like I already knew BYU fans and, and, and the people in this community were unbelievable people. I, I already love all of you, um, but I've been blown away by the response, by the thoughtfulness, by um, the willingness to learn and understand. It's been so beautiful. You know, somebody commented the most, thoughtful comment I've seen. They said, they said something along the lines of a part of their comment was when I was at BYU, um, I noticed that if I saw a black person on campus, I would make eye contact with them. And then I would feel bad about making eye contact with them because I didn't want to feel like I was staring at them. So then I would just turn and not look at them. And that is so, so real and so raw. And I just appreciate such a thoughtful comment like that, such a self-aware comment. And there's been so many comments like that and so many people that, you know, are, are wanting and willing to learn. And, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing I would say is, um, you know, just 
as a state, as a community, we have a lot of ignorance. And I want to be very careful with the way I say that. Ignorance has a very negative connotation. It, it comes across as dumb, stupidity. And that's not what that is. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that we're not around a lot of black people, so it wouldn't make sense for us to understand what that plight is like. So that's when I say ignorant, I'm not meaning that in, in a negative way at all. It's just the reality of not being around different types of people a ton. And, you know, I would say that because of that, it's important that we keep being us. The, the, this community and these people and, and BYU fans, Cougar Nation, this whole state is, is dramatically full of amazing people, people that are caring and thoughtful and kind. And I would say now it's just important that we educate ourselves on a topic that we haven't seen much of in our state. And once we educate ourselves on those things, you know, the rest will take off, especially in this amazing state, because the people are already so kind and, and helpful and willing to, willing to set themselves aside to help other people. So, you know, I would just say it's, it's amazing to, to see how, how wonderful the people in this state are and, um, you know, have that, have that confidence in our people. And well said, and let's explore a ton of angles from within what you just said. I think part of that education, Yoli, is understanding what black people go through in different communities. And you outlined that really well, some stories of you and your brother experiences you've had where, frankly, we haven't had those experiences ourselves. So for those who missed your post or haven't read it quite yet, will you explain some of those experiences so that we can be educated on the difference of how you are treated versus, say, how we are treated? Yeah, I shared a story from when I was a little kid. I was probably 11. And it's similar to that story that the, the person shared on, the, on a comment of the whole eye contact thing. And it was I was walking through a, a grocery store parking lot and um, there was an older white woman. And as I was walking by her car, she noticed me and kind of like scrambled to lock her door. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm an 11 year old kid. Like, I'm like, what? Why are you? Why are you afraid? Like, what am I going to do? And, uh, you know, that, that's where there's the difference in, you know, just this person looks different than me. It's natural to look at this person um, versus, you know, the, the things that were taught about a group of people. So um, that's, that's one of the first experiences I remember. You know, I have tons of experiences growing up where, you know, you get followed in stores, you are accused of stealing things. You're kind of just viewed as a criminal, like you're going to do something wrong. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's some more serious experiences. You know, I, I remember me and my brother being uh, at, the, at the local movie theater as, you know, middle school kids and a group of kids coming up to us, calling us all sorts of names and, um, you know, racial slurs. And then eventually, you know, pulling a knife out on us saying like, I'm going to kill you, you, you know. So we've had experiences like that that are just, you know, it's it seems bizarre and it seems like, no, those happen in other places. That doesn't happen here in Utah, but, you know, it does, and that's the reality. You know, I haven't had experiences with police like my brothers had, um, but every experience I've had with police outside of a classroom has been a negative experience, and that's just the reality of, of my truth. And I'm not saying that police officers are bad people. I had, a, I had a class in high school. It was Officer Russell taught the class, and it was a law enforcement class, and he is one of the greatest people I've ever met. He was so kind. He was he was genuine. He was loving. And, you know, that, that was an experience I had that was so positive. 
but I haven't had those experiences outside of a classroom. You know, some of the experiences my brothers had are shocking. It's, it's unbelievable. He was, uh, he was pulled over one night on the freeway driving home and, uh, he was, he was ordered from a megaphone. There was three, I think three or four cop cars. They said, you know, get out with your hands up. He comes out. They're like, turn around some explicits, turn around, put your hands on the back of your head. He has no idea what's going on. He's on the side of the freeway in the, in the freezing cold. There's ice on the ground. There's six guns drawn on him. And he's just, he's just so scared. Like if I slip, are they going to shoot me? Like, am I going to die if I slip? And it's like, like I'm getting a little emotional because that's my little brother, you know? And it's just like, he wanted to be seen as a person. And they came up to him, didn't explain anything, started searching his car. And an officer stood probably five feet from him with a gun pointed directly at his face. And, you know, we, we, we learned from my mom from a young age how to handle these interactions. And he tried to be very calm and he, he started talking to the officer saying, you know, try to, try to, trying to show the officer I'm a human being too. And he was saying things like, you know, how's your night going? It's a cold one tonight. You guys doing all right? What's going on? Blank face. Not a word is applied to him. The gun was held to his face for 40 minutes. So, you know, these are, these are real experiences that, that people in our community are facing. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe if he was, if he was white, I don't know if the gun would have been on him for 40 minutes. Those are things that I don't know. That's, that's, uh, you know, that's my idea, but that's not the fact. The fact of the matter is that he had a gun pointed on for 40 minutes. and I don't see a reason for that ever happening. You know, on another occasion, he had an officer press a gun on the back of his head because he was in a neighborhood that the officer didn't recognize him in and was and thought that he was there doing something wrong. And he was probably 16 years old. So, you know, there, there's scary experiences like that that happen and that are very real. And I think it's just it's important to acknowledge that those things are happening. And like I said before, the, the response that people have had has been amazing. Just saying, like, I had no idea these things happened in our state you know, this is crazy and just acknowledging it as reality and not, you know, trying to make excuses. It's been, it's been really amazing to see. Yoli Childs with us on BYU Sports Nation, sharing some staggering stories uh, about the past uh, within his own life and his little brother's life. And uh, I think it goes without saying, Yoli, that, uh, you know, Jeremy and I collectively have our jaws open when we listen to things like this. We, we've talked to Derwin Gray, who is a pastor in South Carolina and a former BYU alumnus, and, and he has told us to, you can't just, you know, stand back and watch things happen. You, you can't just, you have to be anti-racist. You have to be proactive with this. And I think we're all kind of wondering, what can we do as a community to not just, you know, say things about it, but be about it? So how, how can we be about it and be of greater support to you and uh, all black people for that matter? Yeah, that's, that's a tough question. And I don't think there's any exact answer. And, and before I get into that, I just want to say that, you know, I am not the end all be all of this discussion. My opinions aren't necessarily the fact of what should be done. It's just, it's just my opinion. I'm not an expert on these things. I'm just someone that's experienced these things and has tried to educate myself on them. Um, you know, I think we should try our best to live like Christ lived. That's how I try to look at life. 
I try to say, how would Christ live? How would Christ handle these situations? And you, you just try your best to emulate that. And what is more Christ-like than, you know, the parable of the lost sheep? What is more Christ-like than caring about the minority? You know, Christ was, was an, an advocate for the minority. He was an advocate of the disenfranchised. And I think the most Christ-like thing we can do is say, you know, I'm going to take the time to learn and care about a minority group, even though it's not necessarily my family. It's not necessarily my initial group of friends. I'm going to go look for that lost sheep. I'm going to go for the one. And I, I think that if we can have that mindset of, of a Christ-like mentality as we do these things, it's going to open up different levels of patience, different levels of understanding. Um, and then I think that the biggest thing we can do is continue to educate ourselves. That's the, that's the first big step is to understand what's happening and understand why it's happening. You know, we have to understand why are black kids more likely to get detention? Why are, uh, why are black people more likely to get pulled over? Why are they more likely to get sentenced to jail for the same crimes as their white brothers and sisters? Why are they more likely to have a longer sentence? You know, why are they less likely to to be shown uh, to be shown more homes when they're looking to buy a home? Why are black people uh, that graduate from college, you know, twice? Why do they have half the rate of employment? You know, we have to look at why these things are happening and educate ourselves on the historical reasons as to why these why these things are happening. Uh, And then I think as we do that, we can educate our initial group of people. You know, I think it's important to, you know, use social media to share our opinions and share what we learn with the world. But I think where you make real change is in your family. The conversations you have with your parents, your siblings, and your kids, especially the, the way that you, the way that you raise the next generation will make a bigger impact than you can ever realize. So I think that's where we make real lasting change is in our individual families. And if we have thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people doing that, that's where I think the biggest change comes. But, you know, that's, that's my opinion. One thing that's helped me in my personal education here has been consuming certain either movies or, or TV shows or documentaries that have educated me on this. In addition to hearing people's experiences, in addition to going to, uh, you know, a protest on Saturday and, and seeing that. What what would you recommend for people to perhaps consume from a media perspective that would help educate? Yeah, I think the Netflix put out a, a great little piece. It's like a Black Lives Matter piece where they have, I don't know, it was probably 30, 40 different movies you can watch. And I think that's just such an easy way to educate yourself. And uh, me and my wife are excited to, to get into all of those and, and educate ourselves. You know, I think nobody has a perfect knowledge of what's going on. And it's important for us to all be humble and and be willing to listen and learn and, and understand that, you know, there might be things in a movie that make you uncomfortable. There might be things that you feel are, you know, that, that you feel are magnified for dramatic effect, things like that. So I'm not saying a movie is going to be perfect, but it's going to be a, a great starting place. You know, the, the hate you give was a great movie. I watched just mercy was great. Um, I haven't seen 13th yet, but I've heard amazing things about it. So um, I think just it's an easy way to educate. Another thing we can do is we're so lucky to be in this generation, you know, where, you know, we can, we can hop on zoom right now and have this conversation, use the internet, you know, understand that you need to go to, to websites that are accurate and have accurate information, 
but in, in this, in this generation, in this time, there's, you can learn about anything that you want to learn about. So, um, I think just, just researching, um, on your own, just, just why are things like this? What are the stats? What are the facts? What is What's the reality of our country right now? And trying to come to the logical conclusion yourself of why is it like this? So there, there's, there's a lot we could, we could go on and on about that. Yoli, I can't tell you how much we appreciate your commentary on these matters and uh, how much sincerity and genuine thought you have put into this. Uh, we are the benefactors of having you on the program because uh, now we are gaining more awareness and we're, we're starting to begin to broach that idea of getting rid of the ignorance. So uh, thank you for that. Um, you know, I'd love to continue to talk about this for the remainder of the program, uh, but uh, we also want to talk to you about your basketball future and what's going on in your life and, and how you're pushing forward and, and what you think the direction of the BYU basketball program is. So uh, if you don't mind, would you stick around with us uh, so that we can get the, the details on what's happening in your future? Let's do it. I'd love to. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. It is time for Big Deal, No Deal. Big Deal, No Deal. Presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. I will start at number one, Jerem. Big Deal, No Deal. The majority of BYU basketball's rostered players are transfers. We have eight Big deal. Sorry, I thought you were going to say more. Uh, big deal. I, I uh, mentioned in the opening block that I love the idea of people that come in with an immediate agenda to impact, right? Freshmen sometimes take a minute to warm up. And if they're straight out of high school, they're 18. Or if they're straight off a mission, they haven't been getting buckets across the globe like we, everyone thinks that we do, right? Uh, so I, I think it's a big deal. I think these uh, guys come in and they want to make an impact right away. They're not here to just kind of ease into the system. They're here to, to go right now. It's a big deal because BYU, in our projected starting five, features four transfers. Alex Barcelo, Brandon Averett, Richard Harward, and Matt Harms. Four of the five projected starters, at least according to us, are transfers. Well, the, the team asks us who they should start. So it's kind of, you know, just set in stone, right? That's the thing. This is a big deal. They expect to make an impact, and the agenda clearly stated by Brandon Averett is... Make the NCAA tournament. That's what the season is all about. He mentioned more than that. He mentioned more than that. And if you want to hear what he said, you can go back and watch the interview because I won't go there. <laughs> Number two, big deal, no deal. BYU has two pro football focus preseason top 25 teams on the schedule in Utah and Minnesota. Uh, no deal because they have Utah at number 15. Yeah, way too high. I, 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 I Utah's I'm fine good, if Utah's like 22nd or something because of what they've done the last several years. But, yeah, 15 to They just put 10 guys in the NFL, seven draft picks, three is undrafted. Yeah, is Utah even good anymore? They're good. Yeah, no, they're, they're good. good. I don't know that they deserve to be ranked number 15. So, for no. me, when I saw that, I thought, eh, no deal. Yeah, it, you can't. It, it, it's one thing to lose all the defense. It's another to lose Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss. And the and entirety Devontae, of your defense. And Devontae Henry Cole, right? Among others. So, yeah, and, and on the offensive line, there's a lot of guys. To, I think there's three starters to replace them. So, yeah, no, no deal for me as well, which uh, that, the BYU-Utah game is how many days away again? Countdown to the Utes. 80 days away. 
right now, that's Ooh. a big deal. Ooh, okay. Minnesota deserves to be top 25 preseason. Yes. They, they 100%. And I think Utah does, too. I just don't like 15. 15? I, most places have Minnesota higher than Utah, by the way. This is rare. If I were a Utah fan. <laughs> oh, gross. Why would you even say that? Dark reality. I wouldn't want to be number 15. Losing all of those players? That, that no, expect- no, no. Be top 10, and we're going to win the South. Too and high. Too yeah, high. This is the year, and this is our most talented team. Like, all, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, all of it. Yes. I do want Utah to be ranked when BYU opens the season against them for added context. That's fun. Which is how many days away? 80 days away. I was just seeing if we played. <laughs> like, three. don't roll it! No, we did it. Number three, and we did so successfully with syncopation, no less. Yeah, let's go, man. Big deal, no Acapella deal. choir. In a look back at college football expansion, former Big 12 Commissioner oh Dan Beebe tells KSLSports.com, quote, BYU is one of those schools that might have been able to move the needle a little bit, end quote. Let's not talk about might have been able to. <laughs> you know how many might have been able tos there are in BYU sports history? Uh, oh, might have been able to. Get out of here. No deal. This is, um, you know what? No deal. The yellow card. For oh, it's been bring, a minute. Bringing this into the it's been. I even I forgot those were down there. What yellow else card. is down you here? You know what? I have something else, too, okay? What else is down it's here? It relates to football better. I've got a yellow flag. Okay, I'm throwing the flag. Don't you dare throw this in someone's eye, though. That happened in the NFL. That this that? even got brought up. Like, I know that Big 12 conversation is fun. Expansion is fun. It is? Well, it is, clearly, because BYU fans latch onto it. What, but What expansion? Wh- BYU's been independent for nine years. What when we are about? talking about a former commissioner saying BYU might have been, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing? Thanks, Taylor. No deal. Okay, Taylor Twelman. Our line producer today. His name Taylor. He's like, what did I do? <laughs> Number four. <laughs> big deal, no deal. Jimmer Fredette's name was tossed out as a potential NBA bubble alternate for a team. It's a big deal, Jeremy. And Jimmer. who said it again? Tate Frazier? Right? It's, it's Jimmer. It's a big deal. Uh, in all seriousness, it, it there are reportedly a lot of guys that are feeling super hesitant about playing basketball, uh, even in a bubble in Orlando in the NBA. Uh, so why Jimmer Fredette would be the perfect candidate to replace one of those guys because he clearly wants to be back in the league and he's available. I mean, Panathinaikos ain't playing. The Greek league is canceled. Jimmer's back in America already. So this is intriguing to me. If guys are not going to play and they don't feel comfortable, he is a perfect fit for that scenario. Yeah, yeah the idea is fun, but the reality is no deal. Mm-hmm. Unless he actually signs with the team, then it'd be a big deal because anything Jimmer – does this is just a thought? This isn't an action. Anything he does is a big deal, especially here, right? It, it'd be fun to see him play in that. And yeah, the NBA is playing. It's a matter of who is playing on the court, right? They're playing July 31st, you know? It's if going Le- down, right? Patrick Beverly said, if LeBron's playing, we're all playing. <laughs> right. And yeah, there's discussion, if, in case you missed it, about, you know, with what's going on socially with Black Lives Matter. Should they not play in an attempt to give attention to that yeah. and use their platform? Yeah. So that that's certainly a uh, legit question, right? Um, I am I'm guessing that they're going to play and they can use that platform 
they can continue to use that platform. But if they didn't play, it'd be interesting because Bill Russell and company, uh, Bill Simmons has talked about back in the day, they played a game where in hindsight he says, I don't know if that was the right move. I think on perhaps the day that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was shot or something. Mm-hmm. And, and Bill Russell to this day says, I'm not sure if that was the right move. So it, it, the day after. So it, it takes a second to make this decision. There's no rush. If the NBA doesn't want to play because of this, I totally get it. It's sorry, some of the players. It's such a unique situation. Yeah, and and you know there there are guys. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. The Black Lives Matter situation on top of a pandemic. Not to mention the pandemic. So it's right? It could be like, one or the other, gosh. or both for these guys. Like, hey, I don't feel comfortable because of this or this or both of these things. Yes, and you know Ed Davis just came out with some stuff that said, hey, it's easy for some of the richer guys to say this because they've they've got the money. Some of us. You know, don't have that same level of wealth, right? So we'll we'll see what the NBA does. But if Jimmer Fredette somehow came back and was in the NBA, that'd be that'd be great. <laughs> that'd be that'd be fun. Yeah. Trust me, in July uh, and August, uh, September, we'll be watching. Yeah, the two weeks, which uh, would be potentially uh, playoff seeding games, like these play-in games to formulate the playoff bracket. That that'd be fun. Interest is going to be thinking about super the replacements high. now. Yeah. <laughs> That <laughs> one that movie was made in the late nineties, and I I'm trying to remember the name of the quarterback. Shane Falco, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Shane yeah. Falco, which is basically you know uh, <laughs> Johnny Utah from a decade before or whatever. And Gene Hackman's the coach, <laughs> the goat from Hoosiers. Yes. <laughs> Let's get you to coach a different sport. Oh, speaking of Hoosiers and basketball. Big deal, no deal. BYU basketball is reportedly scheduled to play three games in four days this upcoming season, including a matchup with Oregon in Portland, de facto road game, then two games in the Bahamas against George Mason and either Tulsa or Boston College. It's a big deal. But first, let's address what happened the last couple of days. And, uh, you know, shout out to Robbie McCombs of Vancouver's the Foe for digging up some of this information here. So BYU is reportedly playing Oregon, two sources now, Oregon 24-7 and John Rothstein, in Portland November 17th. Okay, then BYU was scheduled to go to the Bahamas to play in the Junkanoo Jam. They're still going. But when that was originally released, the information was that it was other days that have changed and it was three games, but now it's down to two. So BYU is going to play George Mason on the 19th. So play Oregon on the 17th in Portland, go all the way to the Bahamas on the 18th, play George Mason on the 19th, and then play the winner or loser, depending on the result, of Tulsa and Boston College. Are they even going to be able to enjoy the Bahamas? I hope they have a because, couple of days after to just relax. Well, Weber State's the 23rd. <laughs> so, Wait, is it November 23rd or December 23rd? No, December 23rd. What's, a, no, what's November? There's another one that's in November, I swear. Uh, yeah, I'm going to look it up right now. But I, it's a big deal because it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Oregon is, uh, you could argue, the best non-conference game BYU will have. I don't project San Diego State to be like one seed, two seed quality again. But Oregon has been a Final Four team recently, right? They've been a Sweet 16 kind of perennial team. And then you got to fly eight hours to the Bahamas. Yeah. Okay, Utah Valley's a week later. Uh, so hopefully BYU doesn't, doesn't schedule anything. No, is that, it's, it would be Thanksgiving, right? Spend Thanksgiving maybe, in the Bahamas. Maybe they can just hang out there, yeah. Now spend some, spend some time in the Bahamas. I hope they get a couple it's, of it's days It's a off. week before Thanksgiving. Oh. So they'll probably have to come back. Yeah, the 20 and the 20th is a Friday. So they're probably leaving on Sunday. Do they, hey, November 23rd, give them class off. 
Let them hang out in the Bahamas. Let them hang I, out. Yeah, if you can't go all the way to the Bahamas just to play two basketball games and bounce, you need at least a day there. Like a full day. Not a travel day, not a game day. Right? This Why is, else would you go there? This is clearly a big deal because we are emotionally invested in this. Well, we want to go on the trip. <laughs> can we? Uh, I want the guys to have a fun we, time. Can we hop on that charter jet? <laughs> Listen, I'll, I'll be the water boy. Let's go, man. I'll serve drinks. Yeah. Whatever. And then if they need a bucket, I'll get in and shoot a three from the corner, you know? I'll serve drinks. I'll get you another granola bar. Whatever. Whatever you need, man. (laughs) A hot towel. Whatever you need. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Time for the best to wear it. We're counting up to 99, one number each show, and determining who was the best athlete to wear each number at Brigham Young University. Today, it's all about number 29. This player was the all-time leading rusher when he left school. His name's Jamal Willis. Jamal was awesome, man. He was a tremendous rusher. Had 2,970 yards. Uh, Also had over 1,000 yards receiving. 40 total touchdowns. He's the fourth leading rusher in school history at the moment. Tied for third most touchdowns, pivotal in some really, really fun and wild early 90s games. Thinking of 91 San Diego State. I'm thinking of 94 Notre Dame beating Penn State as well. He was well. the MVP of the Copper Bowl against Oklahoma his senior year. Exactly, exactly. He was awesome. He was fast. He had swag. Uh, second team all whack in 92. First team all whack in 94. Played a couple of years for the 49ers. And uh, he's one of the all-time great players at BYU. Absolutely. The best to wear number 29, and he's still making an impact on the program with an outside business. He has what they call cutback elite, and he's working with guys like Lopini Kato, among other BYU football players, to help them work yeah. on becoming quicker, finding the hole faster, and uh, Being like Jamal Willis. becoming a great running back. Yeah, Jamal Willis and Jamal Williams, two of the greats uh, at BYU, very similar names. And uh, Jamal's son, Shaman, is a cornerback on the team as well. So he's got a, a kid on the team. Yeah, Jamal Willis has been tweeting out classic videos of his highlights, and I love it. I am here I for am it. Fine I, with, I want more I am of it. I am fine with someone tweeting out their own highlights if the highlights are awesome. Yeah, I, I want because they're not going to tweet out bad highlights. So let's go. Time for the best to wear it special of the day. We're counting up to 99, one number each show and determining who was the best athlete to wear each digit at Brigham Young University. Today, we focus in on number 30. It's Lee Kamard. He's on campus. Lee Kamard is uh, an assistant coach with the women's basketball team now, but this is the one, one of the most well-rounded players in BYU history. So he's 16th in scoring, 11th in threes made, 20th in rebounds, 11th in assists. He's one of the top 20 in field goal percentage, 4th in three-point percentage, by the way. You forget that one. 43%. Fourth in free throw percentage, 84%. He did it all. Ninth in offensive rebounds, Lee Kamard. Ninth in offensive rebounds. 13th in blocks per game, 13th in steals per game. 2008, co-Mountain West Conference Player of the Year. Went to several NCAA tournaments. Lee was a winner, and he did something as well that uh, no one else in BYU history has done, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Lee Kamard's the only player in BYU history in the top 20 of points, threes made, rebounds, and field goals. Whoa. How about that? Additionally, he's top 20 in 
free throw percentage, assists, blocks per game, and steals per game. So well-rounded. I would say Michael Smith is probably the most well-rounded player in BYU history in terms of shooting, rebounding, and all that. Like, you could argue Lee. You could also argue Kyle Collinsworth. Kyle Collinsworth is very similar to Lee and Michael, but his shot wasn't as good, but he excelled in other ways. Yeah, Michael Smith shot 90% from the free throw line. Yeah, Over 40% from three as a 6'10 guy. Yeah, and Kyle Collinsworth is in better shape than both those guys. Truth. So, yeah, Lee Kamard is the uh, best wear number three. Now, what's tough about this is TJ Hawes, who also wore number 30, just came off an epic season that, unfortunately, we didn't really get to see come to fruition in the NCAA tournament. But he was unbelievable in the number 30 jersey. Yeah, he was good. I still have Lee as the guy, even if TJ goes to the Sweet 16 and whatnot. I think Lee, what Lee did was amazing. TJ was really, really good as well. He was Mr. Reliable. He's the Iron Man of BYU basketball. Yeah. What what Lee did was help, you know, and this isn't completely on TJ, but Lee went to, what, three NCAA tournaments, I think? You know, TJ unfortunately didn't go to any. He would have gone to one this year. Um, so let's just count it as one. Uh, Brian Mitchell, number 30 as well. 13 interceptions. Coached at BYU for a long time. He was in the game for a long time as well uh, with Texas Tech and East Carolina and West Virginia. And most recently at Virginia Tech as well. So Brian Mitchell was awesome. Yeah, number 30. This was loaded. loaded. I I think Jeff Blank was 30 as well. Running back uh, from the 70s for BYU who should be honorably mentioned. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. We now welcome in for the first time ever on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline via Zoom, new BYU basketball transfer, Brandon Abert. Brandon, welcome to BYU Sports Nation. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You got it. How would you explain your weekend uh, on social media and with interactions after you made the official announcement that you... We're coming to BYU to play basketball for Mark Pope and his staff. Uh, well, yeah, immediately my social media kind of blew up. Uh, just notification after notification, follow after follow. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it felt good to have everybody interact with me. When you put your name in the portal, we thought there might be an opportunity here. Obviously, you went to Utah Valley when Mark Pope was there and you redshirted. But uh, what went into the decision to officially come to BYU and, and join up with Mark Pope and staff again? Uh, well, as you said, uh, I, I originally committed to Coach Pope over at UBU. So, I mean, just seeing the opportunity and seeing that they needed a, a, a ball handler, you know, was just kind of a, a perfect opportunity in my eyes. So it was kind of a no-brainer in my opinion, I mean. As soon as I found out that I was able to graduate, I just I knew where I wanted to be. So, what was it about Mark Pope and his staff that made you initially want to play for him at Utah Valley and now BYU? Uh, just talking with Pope and just understanding his vision. You know, I mean, he really went into detail of what he want for for my future and his future. You know, uh, and it kind of perfectly fit together. You know, it was just kind of a perfect fit and. I fell in love with everybody, the coaching staff and everything immediately. So it just it just was a family feel. So you mentioned as soon as you knew you could graduate, you knew where you wanted to be. So when you figure that out, I don't know if you're talking to like an academic counselor or something. Is B, So BYU is at the top of your mind of, hey, if there's an opportunity, I want to go to BYU? Uh, yes, sir. I mean, like I said, uh, Coach Pope was the 
the coach that kind of got me out here to Utah and I mean, kind of sucked. I never got to play for him. Just, just going through a whole redshirt year, working real hard, and kind of not being able to play for him. Just, it kind of was bummed. But just like I said, I, I knew I had the opportunity, and I knew exactly where I wanted to be. So, how did Mark Pope convince you to go from Oklahoma State, for those who don't know, to Utah Valley in uh, Orem, Utah, a place uh, perhaps unfamiliar to you, growing up in Texas and then playing in Oklahoma? Uh. Well, I just remember like him telling me exactly what and more that I wanted to hear in transferring. You know, uh, we both had the vision of wanting to go to the NCAA tournament and take wanting to take Utah Valley the first time in school history and kind of making a run and winning the WAG tournament. So we just had that same competitive winning mindset, in my opinion. So it just it was destined to be. BYU basketball transfer Brandon Abert with us on BYU Sports Nation. Now uh, it is your opportunity to help BYU get back to the NCAA tournament. What kind of idea did you have about BYU uh, before you signed with them, before you came to Utah for that matter? Uh, well, I knew of BYU just because of Jim Fredette, but because, besides that, I mean, uh, it wasn't too much I knew before I came out here. You know, uh, my redshirt year, I remember – being in the Marriott Center on the bench and just being amazed by the, the student section, you know, it was just, it was crazy. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to just play there, you know, but I never, and I'm not gonna lie, I never would have thought I would have ended up going to school here, but I'm very excited to be here. and I can't wait to play in front of Cougar Nation. And we're excited. And I know Cougar Nation is excited as well. Uh, awesome showing over the weekend by fans getting excited about you. We've been saying, BYU needs a ball handler. You need a guy that can handle the ball with Alex Barcelo, and here you are. So describe what you can do on the court and where you feel you're very strong. Uh, well, number one, I just feel like uh, my most unique thing about me is just my competitive nature, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a never-back-down type of guy, and I really don't care who's in front of me. I've played against the best. I've guarded the best. So, I mean, I consider myself the best, you know, so I'm – a competitive, competitive winner, you know. So I just want to bring competitive and winning to the table and whatever sacrifice I need to make for the team to win. Are you a traditional point guard? How would you describe your game? Uh, I'd say, I mean, I'm kind of a guy that can do it all. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a playmaker, uh, a defender. You know, I try to get in the lane, make plays for my, myself, my teammates, you know, create my own shot. Uh, just beat people off the dribble, make I mean, I just I try to do it all, you know. So, and that includes dunking, right? We saw that dunk at Oklahoma State. That went <laughs> all over. That was incredible, dude. And, and you, are you five eleven? That's that's generous. I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I'm about five ten. <laughs> You're five ten, and you threw down like that. That's incredible, man. Take take us back to that moment. It, it I can't remember who you played, but it was a teeth grinder, man. Uh, it was actually against Charlotte, uh, but I just remember. Honestly, I don't know what hit me, but I just remember seeing a lane open and just wanting to be real aggressive at the rim. And actually, I was kind of surprised it went in. I, I kind of just <laughs> went up and it went in. So I was, I was really excited. And, I, and then everybody erupted, and it, it was fun. Yeah, well, if you wanted to be aggressive, mission accomplished there. <laughs> Brandon Averett with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, Brandon, when you look at this BYU basketball roster and you see the likes of Matt Harms and uh, some of your former Utah Valley teammates and Richard Harward and Wyatt Lowell, what goes through your mind about what this team can potentially accomplish? Uh, well, I mean, 
essentially, I mean, we all want to get to the NCAA tournament. You know, that's that's the main focus. That's the focus for the entire season. So, I mean, I think we can we can definitely accomplish a lot. You know, I think we'll surprise a lot of people, and it, I, I feel like we have nothing less than Sweet Sixteen aspirations. You know, I mean that that's what I see for this team, and that's what I feel like we're capable of doing. Tell us something about Mark Pope we don't already know. Uh, I'm sure y'all y'all pretty y'all know him pretty well now, but uh, he's just a fun guy, you know. I mean, he he can he he's he's real good at turning on and turning off, you know. Like you get on the court, he's he's so he's just straight to business, and you get off the court, and he's just the best guy ever. So it's just it's kind of it's kind of fun to see how how good he can turn it on and turn it off. True or false? You have watched uh, some of his NBA highlights. Uh, false. I have. <laughs> True or false? There are NBA highlights. <laughs> <laughs> we kid. We yeah. lo- we love. Mark. I'm uh, listen. The, one of the opening episodes of the Last Dance featured your boy Mark Pope getting some shots mm-hmm. up. I think in uh, you know the United Center or something. So there you go. Um, tell mm-hmm. us what it was like to grow up in Richardson, uh, Texas. Where is Richardson? Uh, Richardson is in like North Dallas area, but I mean, it was fun. It, it's in Dallas is just a lot of talent in, in the whole city. So, I mean, I wasn't one of those five-star, four-star guys. I kind of, I kind of fell under the rug and I mean, my recruiting process wasn't like crazy or great, you know, but I just stick to my, my hard work. And I mean, it's, it's always seemed to bring me and take me places. So I just kept working hard and never gave up. Along those lines, uh, you said you weren't recruited much, yet you landed o- Oklahoma State. Uh, that, that's a great place to play basketball, right? Do you feel like now at your third school and now with BYU, who last year was a top 15 uh, team at one point, right, and, and high expectations this year, do you feel like you have something to prove individually to help a team uh, get into the NCAA tournament and help yourself get a pro career? Uh, yes, sir, definitely. I mean – I've always played with a chip on my so- shoulder, but I mean, I'm not really too too much focused on me this year. I'm just coming in, just excited to just do whatever I can to help the team win. Brandon, I'm sure you've already done it, but or at least Mark Pope has told you to do it. Imagine almost 19,000 wild fans taking on a top five team, and uh, you're one of the guys running out on the floor. What kind of emotion comes to mind when I paint that picture for you? It's just it's very exciting, you know. It's it's kind of anxious and exciting, you know. What I mean, just kind of how last season ended, and just nobody got to finish their season. So, I mean, I'm just so excited to play. I can't wait to play in front of the greatest fans in America. What's life like right now as you try and get ready for the season amid uh, coronavirus and whatnot? As you try and get some voluntary workouts in. Uh. I mean, it's kind of been the same thing. You know, I just try to get in the gym, do my schoolwork, and go home kind of thing and just try to get a routine and just stick to it daily. Brandon, let's finish with this. Uh, what NBA player do you try and pattern your game after? Uh, there's a lot of players I actually watch, but the player that I, I seem to try to take the most out of his game is Kyrie Irving. Uh, just – his finishing ability, his his ball handling, his shooting, his footwork. There's just a lot of little stuff in his game that I try to take away from him. Do you have a nickname? 
BA. BA is my nickname. BA? Okay. Okay. Sorry. All right. Love it. BA it is. Hey, uh, welcome to BYU Sports Nation once again. We appreciate the time, man. Uh, can't tell you how excited we are to watch you play basketball BYU. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You got it. Brandon Averett on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. I am so pumped for him to be at BYU. And, and you said it early and often. Ball handler, ball handler. He is ball handler and more. One thing he didn't bring up that he would if we had asked him a little more about it is his defense. He is a good defender as well. So on that guard line, and like we said, we expect him to be in the starting lineup. He's not going to – I don't think he's coming off the bench. I think you bring him over to make an impact in the starting lineup right away. I'm stoked, man. He keeps saying competitive, chip on the shoulder, love to play defense. Sounds like Alex Marcello, right? That, like, like same mentality, those exactly. two together. Love that. And then you go back to Jackson Emery, who thrived in those types of things. Like, we need that play. Love it. Can't wait. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. BYU basketball forever great. And NBA hopeful Yoli Childs clearly had an epic senior year and was part of one of the best BYU basketball teams ever. And yet he said this about the upcoming team and season. Ready yourselves for a hot take. I'm going to say it's a hot take. Most talented team that there's ever been at BYU. Whoa! Whoa! I know. Okay. That's hot. I know. Hot take. Look, just go up and down the roster, and it's like, if they can put it together, it's going to be special. I'm excited. Jerem, very hot. This is a guy that still just hot. played on the team that was pacing for a six seed in the yeah. NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Had knocked off number two Gonzaga. Okay, had so many quality wins. Yep, he's essentially saying that that team's not going to be as good as this year's team. Will the upcoming BYU basketball team be better than last season? Uh, I hope so. Um, let's <laughs> <laughs> let's evaluate some things. Will they be higher than nine in net? Nine was amazing, okay? Will they beat Gonzaga at least once? Will they be at least a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament? If they can do that, then yes! <laughs> I just don't... I, man, I see uh, some of those things happening. You know, I, like, this team will be deeper than last year's team. And I think last year's team had some depth to it, right? You had Connor Harding coming off the bench, nailing threes, doing a good job. You had... Quality, right? But now BYU has, I think, more depth. We talked to Yoli and we've talked to Mark Durant this week about it. And uh, Mark Durant said, yeah, I think it's like a 8, 9, 10 kind of deep team, right? So that's exciting. Here, here's one thing that uh, BYU needs to figure out is I have Yoli Childs in the top 15 in BYU history. I, I have to lay this all out, but just spitballing. TJ Howe's probably in the top 40, and then Jake Tulson probably in the top 65. If he had been at BYU the whole time, he's probably top 50, top 40 as well. Does BYU have a top 50 player on the roster right now in BYU history? You know what I mean? Maybe the collective is greater than the big three, if you will, perhaps. And maybe it's like, well, we, you have seven players in the top 200, and maybe that does the trick. I'm not sure. For BYU to be better than this last year would be pretty incredible. How do you gauge the effectiveness of what is perceived as balance of this upcoming team compared to having three all-time players on the same roster last year? Yeah. And BYU did this, mind you, with Yoli Childs sitting out double-digit games. 13, 
when all said and done? Jake Toulson was not fully healthy all season, and then TJ Haas did his thing, was super clutch, but they always had a clutch guy on the floor. We're not sure who that bucket getter is going to be on this year's team, but we think the balance and the overall depth and the overall talent as a collective unit is better for this team. So I'm, yeah, it's like hard the, to know how it will manifest itself compared to having three superstars leading the charge last year. Like, is the number four player on this year's team better than last year's number four player? And so on. I think that's where the conversation sits, probably with what Yoli's getting at. I don't think the top three players from last year are, uh, I, think, I don't think they're worse than the top. I think the top three are better than anyone on this team. You know what I mean? Um, but the collective could be greater than the whole. Like, the hive could thrive in that way. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I, <laughs> I just think it'd be hard to be top 10 net, beat Gonzaga, beat a six seed again. But I'm not putting it past the team for sure, but to expect that? Yoli's calling a shot. It's, it's Babe Ruth out to center field right now. It's pretty aggressive. This team upcoming is good enough to be a single-digit seed in the NCAA tournament. I agree. I agree. But are they good enough to be top 10 in net rankings, be nationally ranked in the top 20, and be pacing as, at one point, BYU was pacing as like a four, maybe a five seed. They yeah. lost to St. Mary's and probably settled in as a six seed. Yeah, but, and yeah, if they beat St. Mary's and they hang with Gonzaga, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I'm stoked about this team. Let's go, man. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Football, football, foot, football. How many days away are we again? A countdown to the youths. 1979. That was a, a good year. Uh, missed field goal. Though. Just make Go that perfect. field goal. Just beat Lee Corso in Indiana. Undefeated yeah. season. Yeah. Okay, BYU's lost too many games in a row to Utah. We all know the number. Whatever. Uh... We all hate it. Last season, we built up BYU's potential to beat Utah because the Cougars had led 20 to nothing with 16 minutes to go in the game, but lost. Yet, last season's Ute team was legit, so it didn't make sense that we built up to that. That team was ranked as high as number five late in the season in the college football playoff. BYU's just trying to get into the college football playoff rankings, period, right? Yet, this season, Utah's lost a ton of players, and we're discussing BYU's uh, ability to win the game less. So should BYU fans be more confident about BYU against Utah? Or are we just jaded too much now? Let logic reign supreme. No. Yes. What? No. BYU fans should be more confident about BYU's chances of beating Utah this season. Then why aren't we talking about that? Because basketball has stolen the spotlight for one. And nine in a row has What do you a mean? We've had six months to discuss heavy. this. Nine losses in a row has a heavy heavy, lingering effect on the mind. But just for a moment, try and separate yourself from the emotion if you can. Just for a moment. I am a robot. Let logic reign supreme. I said for the first time after the 2017 season, because we asked this question on the show, when's BYU going to beat Utah again? Because we were... The answer was 2024. Looking ahead at... Well, if they're not doing it this year, then BYU's got to go to Utah next year. And He's better on the road than home. Then Utah's going to have all sorts of talent. Tyler Huntley's going to be a senior. Zach Moss is going to be a senior when they come back to Provo. So it's probably not going to happen in 2019. I said circle 2020 because Utah will have a ton of turnover. And BYU will, Hopefully finally, turnovers. BYU will finally have an upperclassman quarterback. And as we pointed out a few days ago on the show, BYU 
will return as many as 19 or 20 upperclassmen starters in 2020. The time is now. Yeah, think back to last season. I know the hype was amazing coming off Zach Wilson's 18-for-18 bowl game, and Utah was in Pro Bowl, and it was year two of the Jeff Grimes offense. But Utah had, in their head coach, Kyle Whittingham's words, the most talented team the program has ever had and that he has had the pleasure of coaching. They put 10 guys in the NFL, seven draft picks. Legit, man. So why in the world did we think, oh, yeah, BYU is going to beat Utah this year? That's, it was crazy talk. Yeah. It was crazy talk. And we talk. participated fully. Absolutely. So I know that the hesitancy is real to be like, well, now BYU's got to go to Salt Lake City and – you said it. BYU's been better on the road in this series. Things yeah. have been more competitive. Yeah. And Utah has a ton of turnover. So now, logic reigning supreme is the time to believe. BYU was starting Zach Wilson last year against that defense, and he wasn't fully healthy coming off shoulder surgery. What in the world were any BYU fans thinking that BYU was going to beat even, Utah last Even season? if he's healthy, it wouldn't have mattered. Utah was too good. So... It's now. Now I, is the this, time. The, you should run for office. Uh, we are in the show me stage with BYU football now. We're not in the talk it up stage because we've been talking it up for a decade with no wins against Utah. So I believe that, yes, the logic, and that's, that's why I brought this up to discuss on the show is, yeah, wait a minute. Isn't, wouldn't this be a good opportunity and, to beat Utah? At, at like 100%, they lose nine starters on defense and they lose Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss. Like, this would make sense that this would be an opportunity for BYU. 100%. But we are in the show me stage because BYU hasn't even accidentally beaten Utah in the last decade. They haven't even just one game. Oh, ball bounced our way. We made this play. We made that play. We won. It's crazy it that they haven't lucked into a win. It hasn't happened. So we are more in the, okay, once it happens, then we'll get excited stage of BYU football. That's how it feels like. The fan base is treating this rivalry. And so here we are with another opportunity. Yet, I promise you, mark my words, what is it, June 16th? Leading up, we will get more excited about the opportunity of BYU winning this because it's a defense mechanism, or in this case, maybe an offense mechanism, to try and believe that this is going to happen. And obviously, BYU is going to beat Utah at some point. It's not going to go forever, right? This would be the longest win streak for Utah ever against BYU, I believe, right? Yes, I think it's nine on both sides. So let's see it. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, it's not a bunch of guys talking about what could happen. I just want to see you win. Just do it. Can the ball bounce favorably in BYU's favor? <laughs> or can BYU just win the game? They don't like need a lucky bounce. Is BYU the more experienced side in this game this year? That's never really mattered the last nine years. That's the idea. It's like, just win the game. Tell, you can tell me... I'll tell you some nice things here from this pulpit in the next few months, but just win the game. It's time. Yes. Talk is cheap. New look BYU basketball team, but the same lofty expectations in year two of the Mark Pope era. Just ask the new guy. Transfer Brandon Averett said this on yesterday's show. Definitely accomplished a lot, you know. I think we will surprise a lot of people and it, I, I feel like we have nothing less than Sweet 16 aspirations. You know what I mean? that That's what I see for this team, and that's what I feel like we're capable of doing. 
Nothing less than Sweet 16 aspirations. Whoa. Brandon Averett is the perfect Mark Pope guy, isn't he? As in he thrives on people telling him what he and his team can or cannot do. Jaron, do you expect BYU basketball to make the NCAA tournament? Just make it this upcoming season. Yeah, there's too much talent uh, on this team to not make the tourney. We saw what kind of culture BYU could have, what kind of uh, locker room, the best locker room in America, Mark said, and the development of different players as well. Colby Lee went from afterthought to starter, contributor, MVP chance against Portland at home. Uh, to guys like Dalton Nixon and Zach Selyus, whose contribution, we weren't quite sure exactly how they would contribute, but they contributed in a major way as role players, not to mention Yoli Childs improving his three-point shot, continuing what he did in low post, becoming a good leader, uh, getting a little better on the perimeter, and so on and so forth. The development, the culture, and then you look at just pure talent, and we went over it yesterday, but this conglomeration, uh, cornucopia of guys from whether it's local LDS uh, kids or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or not, right? Matt Harms and Brandon Averett and Gideon George and company, this team is good enough to make the tourney, no doubt. I, I have been with BYU Hoops in a wait-and-see situation until this last year, and that was amazing. They went from no NIT to a six seed in the tourney, right? They didn't play the tourney, but Lenardi said they would have been a six. Uh, they would have been a five if it wasn't for Sunday play. They were but, clearly getting in. Yeah, no, no doubt. And they were a top 15 team at one point, right, two weeks before the end of the season. So, yeah, 100%. I, I believe this will be a tourney team. And then, uh, you know, for Brandon Averett to say Sweet 16, that's his prerogative. I disagree. No one's telling him he can't right now. Like, sure, it's, that's fine for him, for the fan base. Um, yeah, I, I, I would think that we expect the NCAA tournament now. BYU will make the NCAA tournament. For me, it's just a question of how many games they'll win in March. They're a tournament team. They're going to get in. They're the second-best team in the West Coast Conference. And that's not a diss on BYU basketball because they're playing against probably the number one team in America in conference. Gonzaga is a preseason favorite to top the polls. BYU is the second-best team in the WCC. They'll make the tournament. How many games will they win in March? And I'm not about to say that they're not capable with this current roster and experience. And I'm not about to doubt Mark Pope and what he's able to pull out of his guys and the development that he can bring to say that they can't win a game or maybe two. So, yeah, I have no issue with Brandon Averett saying what he did. Shoot for the stars. Believe it. He's on par with Mark Pope. And uh, like I said, I have no reason to doubt what Coach Pope and his staff are capable of doing right now. I, I am a firm believer. I am all in on what this staff is capable of doing, and it's only been one year. But they, they just – we've seen it with our own eyes now. Yeah, and our expectations aren't high. Think about what we're saying. We're like, oh, make the tourney. We're not saying win the league. We're not saying win multiple games, right? We're saying make the tourney. No, not, but they are cr- in their circles. They, see, because most people are saying BYU can't win the league. That's something that they are telling – BYU that they can't yeah, do. You can't win the league. You're not better than Gonzaga. Yeah, if BYU, but listen, at the end of the day, you're not defined by league championships when the season is done per se. Or maybe we just ignore that because we never do it. Is that why? Maybe that's why. Um, and, and in football, we're used to having no league, so we don't really care about that. But in soccer and women's volleyball and whatnot, we celebrate conference titles. But those seasons are defined by how they do in the postseason. Last year, we didn't say, oh, WCC champs first. We said Elite Eight. That's how, it, that's how it goes. Danny Ainge in the 81 team, as we chronicled Friday, took third in the WAC that year because there were two other ranked teams in the league. 
Who cares? Does anybody defined, remember that? You're defined by how you <laughs> ask Jonathan Tavernari. You're defined by how you uh, perform in the postseason. And I can't tell you if Loyola Chicago was the uh, champ of their league, but I can tell you they went to the Final Four. The year before 1981's epic run to the Elite Eight, BYU did win the WAC and lost Yay. their first and only NCAA tournament game in the second round. So, yeah, you're, you're right. They had a bye. That's it's, how they get to It's different. You are remembered by what you do in March. Um, so, looking forward to what BYU can do. I'll take some more of that mojo. The excitement and momentum around BYU basketball right now is palpable. The Cougars were pacing for a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. They had just beaten the number two team in the country, Gonzaga, in one of the most epic senior nights in the history of Cougar hoops. Mark Pope is bringing in all types of impactful transfers. But, Jerem, we want this for BYU football as well. What does BYU football need to do to capture the same type of momentum currently surrounding BYU basketball? It's a very complex conversation. No, it's not. Uh, let me give you two things, Spender. Okay. Number one, beat Utah. That will capture some excitement that BYU hasn't seen since, oh, I don't know, 2009, right? That's the number one thing. Beat your rival, establish some credibility in the state. That'll help with recruiting. That will help with perception. That will release some of the pent-up negative energy from the fan base, not to mention the program and its perception of being a lesser program than Utah. Right now, BYU is a lesser program than Utah. That's just a scientific fact when you look at everything. But BYU could level that by getting competitive again, getting national recognition. There's a reason BYU hasn't won 10 games in a season recently. They had some eight or nine win seasons. It's because they didn't win 10 games in those seasons. If you beat Utah, you get to 10 in a couple of those. Here's the second thing. Have one memorable season. What did basketball just do? Had they a had a memorable season. season. What did they do the previous four? They didn't make the NCAA tournament. In fact, last year, two years ago, I guess, they didn't even make the NIT. Sound the price is right, loser horn. Yes. One season can change the identity of a program. One season. So I don't think it's a 12-win, 11-10-win season. I think if BYU had nine wins, including a win against Utah, that we would feel a restoration of order with BYU football. In 2016, that nine-win season was nice. I'll never complain about a nine-win season unless you're coming off 11, 11, 10, and then you get a nine and you go, well, that wasn't the same. Right now, we would take an eight-win season. Right now, I would take a nine-win season with a win against Utah and say, okay, things have Things have, feel like they have changed. One season can change the perception of a program. And here's what BYU has working for them in pursuit of a nine-win season. That can include a bowl game. So win yeah. eight yeah. in the regular season and then win a bowl game and you're nine and four. Nine wins for the first time since 2016. We think that because BYU is now finally older and mature. I thought they were the whole time. And we have put a lot of spotlight on, hey, they bring back a ton of experience. It, this seems to be the best chance that they've had in a while to maximize that potential of having maturity and experience. So it's I thought time. this was a program advantage, but now it's upperclassmen quantified. It's time for eight wins at least in the regular season, nine with a bowl game, and you're right. That would show marked progress BYU's gone 4-7-7 seven, and seven the last three years. The Cougars need to win at least eight to show 
signs of progress, especially with the experience that they bring back. There is some pressure there now, I think. And I think it's good pressure. It's time to perform. Um, BYU basketball just finished ranked for the first time since Jimmer Fredette played in 2011. There is serious excitement and hype surrounding a national ranking. And it probably, uh, it probably matters more in football, Jerem, because BYU doesn't have a conference. Right. They're in the ESPN conference. It's great to have exposure and be seen. But to finish ranked, BYU's trying to do that in football for the first time since, ironically enough, 2011. Yeah, and BYU would have to get to 10 wins, I think. I don't see a situation where BYU gets to 9 and gets ranked. There's an exception to that, but I just think it's really low. If we're I talking think 10, about, you're, go, you're going yeah. to be ranked. If we're talking With that about schedule, absolutely. The momentum and the excitement that is around BYU basketball – Beating Utah would be amazing. That'd be a great Kickstarter. But I think BYU football has to finish ranked to get on that level. And it includes recruiting. It really does. Because that momentum helps with recruiting, too. It's all integral. But it comes down to beating Utah, which is in how many days? Countdown to the Utes. 78. 78 days away. It's coming up quick, man. BYU at Utah, September 3rd. I almost don't believe that's going to happen. Thursday night, national television. Like, we're going through a pandemic. We're going through, you know, one of the biggest social movements in American history. It feels like that is a complete afterthought, as it probably should be. But here we are on a sports show, you know, and it's like, what? 78 days away? That's coming up. The NBA is restarting. We're like a month away from potential fall camp start. Are you kidding me? It's happening. We just have to kind of see what the uh, ramifications and consequences are of doing that. And we don't know. Someone's got to figure that there out. There is so much unknown. Yeah, let's start in a month. We don't have the answer of uh, what happens if someone gets a positive test. But uh, 78 what? days. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week. On the best of BYU Sports Nation. Hit it! The countdown to the youths. 77. 77 days away from September 3rd. BYU at Utah to kick off the 2020 college football season. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline to discuss that season opener and much more, specifically the running backs group, is the new BYU running backs coach, Harvey Unger. Harvey! The all-time great to BYU. Harvey, great to have you with us on the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. All right, I said 77 days to the season opener. What's item number one on the agenda with 77 days to go? Win. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> Win. Hey, we, that's, I mean, there, there's so many things, especially like, I don't know, now with, with everything that's changed and everything going on, um, it's, I don't know, you can get sidetracked, I guess, a lot and, and kind of, I don't know, focus on a bunch of different things that um, may kind of, steer you one way or the other but in in the end like end goals to win and and we have one team you know that we're playing our first game against and and um you know just focusing on beating those guys and, and playing the best game that we can and and yeah really really more than anything i think a lot of the guys are, are starting to focus on themselves 
more than anything. I think they um, they realize they, they definitely have the talent to play against, you know, some of these really tough teams on the schedule. Um, but looking back at the season and stuff, I think a lot of a lot of those close games and games that, that um, we had lost um, weren't necessarily the other teams being more dominant or just, you know, or beating us because, you know, they're much better. A lot of it was mistakes that we made and, and I guess, self-inflicted wounds. So um, we, we got some good players coming back, a lot of good leaders in the, on this team. And um, it, it's been fun to see, like, you know, the growth from just a little bit of spring that we had. You can tell these guys have they're taking uh, a step in the right direction as far as, you know, capitalizing on last season and, and trying to fix those mistakes and taking it on themselves really to just get better. Um, I want to dig into the running backs some more, but first I want to ask you this. So you were on the roster 06 to 09. 06, you end up redshirting, even though you get in the Tulsa game and score a touchdown. People forget, but I remember. Um, so six, that's a win against Utah. Seven, that's a win against Utah. Oh, wait, that's a loss. Oh, nine, that's a win. You were a part of three wins against Utah. Yet here we are sitting on a nine-game losing streak. Is there anything crazy or special or different that needs to happen to beat Utah? Um, I think with, with that game, it's man, it's so weird because you, um, you you tell yourselves not to get too emotionally involved, but you can't help it. Like it, just the rivalry and everything, it takes it to a whole other level, and and I think majority of those wins majority all of the wins that we had during those years it um i noticed we we came into the game not with i don't know the the like a, a vengeance or some kind of like anger towards those guys um it was more of a confidence about ourselves and what we were capable of instead of letting our emotions get the best of us and and um i think to me if if these guys can Really, like I said, it just play poised, uh, and and when it comes down to crunch time, just just keep focusing on our our team and ourselves and what we're trying to accomplish and and what we're trying to do as far as you know schematics and everything like that. We'll we'll be fine. We'll be just fine. The number two all-time leading rusher in BYU football history and current running backs coach Harvey Unga with us on BYU Sports Nation. Speaking of the rivalry, now you have Devontae Henry Cole come from Utah to BYU. Well, well, well. There's an added (laughs) level of uh, intrigue to this matchup this year. He's a guy that BYU fans are very excited about. Um, What kind of impact do you expect run DHC to have at BYU? Well, the the cool thing about him is obviously he understands their defense. He he knows (laughs) – Intricate, you know, ins and outs of their defenses, you know, certain plays, you know, work against them, certain plays don't, um, where to attack certain runs and, and in the past game, you know, certain routes and stuff like that, route concepts, he he um, he understands well. So the that side of, you know, the game, he, he definitely helps out a ton. But um, one of the things that I, I really admire about the kid is, just over the past few weeks, getting to know him and, and diving into um, our offense, super mature, like just really, really hungry down to earth. And, and just every, every day he's, he's trying to learn and, and soak everything in. And um, I, I appreciate that a ton, especially, you know, for, for some of the younger backs, um, it, it's good to see that kind of leadership and, and somebody that has, 
that that type of maturity coming in it definitely helps out a ton let's talk about some of the other guys in the room as well lots of experience returning Lopini Katoa has been here for two seasons he's a junior Sione Finau had a nice couple of games there before a torn ACL I want to ask you about an update on him as well and then Jackson McChesney returns as well in that room yeah no it's I mean the I think one of the, one of the other guys too that's a sleeper is Tyler Algier um, oh th- yeah thank you I totally missed yeah yeah but it's it's great like obviously through the last couple years we've kind of noticed um the the running backs have towards the end of the season our room gets a little slim um but now obviously with dhc and and beanie and tyler and mcchesney um it it just there's there's a, a lot more depth and and um each each of those guys have had you know quite a bit of experience and and i think now coming into this season, having that experience, um, the maturity level definitely bumps up a lot. It, it helps out a ton. And, and like you said, with Sione too, I think there's there's a lot of different dynamics with each of the running backs and what they bring to the table. Um, so it'll, it'll be fun to see. And, and during spring, we um, we bumped over Jackson Kalfusi as well too to, to come and, and play running back as well. So it's it's been fun to see like the, the growth and and you know the strides that these guys have been making throughout spring and, and now leading into summer. Sione Finau plays in the middle of the season before Natura and ACL, but he averaged six yards a carry and had uh, you know sixty nine yards plus in the last four games for him. Is he back from a uh, ACL? Is he good to go for the season? Um, it's kind of up in the air as of now. I mean those. those so many people they, they heal differently and, and guys I mean with with modern day medicine and, and physical therapy and everything like that, you see guys come back in six, seven months. Other guys it takes nine, some people it takes a year. Um right now he is on track to make it hopefully at the beginning of the season, but it's I mean, you know, you never know. It's it's hard to tell and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not gonna sit here and act like I, I know a ton, but just following up with him and, and keeping tabs on him and talking with him and the trainers and stuff. They, they said he's been working his butt off and he's, he's, he's getting better and better each, each week. And um, they think he's a little bit further along than what they expected the timeline. But I, um, I kind of go in with the, what do you want to say? It, hoping for the best, but expecting the worst, I guess, which I don't know if I should do that, but. If if he comes back early, then I'm like, all right, great. But if not, then we're we're playing it safe and you know trying to manage it that way. Harvey, eleven weeks away from a potential start to the college football season, the depth chart is always an interesting conversation. We all yeah. want to know who's going to be the starter, who's going to be the number two guy. So, so just do, tell us now. When do you begin to zero <laughs> in on that balance and having your depth chart solidified? Um. Honestly, I like for from college and then playing after college, majority of the time those depth charts, unless you've got a, a guy that's been the guy previously, I'd say, you know, middle of fall camp, um, usually you can kind of tell who, who the guy is going to be. But um, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it could change. It could change any week. It could change any day. Um and obviously, knock on wood, like 
injuries happen all the time. You pray that they don't, but um, yeah, I, w- I would say probably middle of the fall camp, um, I, you kind of notice a lot of guys start to kind of set their ones and twos and threes setting up with the quarterbacks and having them take more and more reps with those certain quarterbacks and an offensive line unit and stuff. And so that's, that's kind of what I'm going to go on with this. But I mean, for me, I, I, I think Beanie and Tyler obviously have the most experience out of any of the backs. And to me, those two guys are definitely, you know, the front runners for it. And then with DAC coming in, we'll, we'll see, you know, where he, where he fits in with, with everything. And um, I'm not like any other coach. I'm not going to hand anything to anybody. You know, I'll, I'll make sure I want these guys to work for it. I want them to earn it. Um, I had to earn it when I was here and, and, you know, there, there were some good backs and um, we, we had some good battles, but I definitely think, you know, if these, these guys will rise to the occasion and, and we'll, we'll make it work. We'll figure something out. I, th- I, you know what? I thought I remembered you just came in and said, listen, I know Fui Vakapuna, you're like, good, whatever. Uh, I know Manasse Tonga, you're like, good, whatever. But you just came in and you're like, hey, I just want to stay to Tim for you. Like, I'm kind of the guy here. No, you're right. You yep. didn't do that. You didn't do that. Um, uh, let, never. <laughs> let's finish with this. Uh, we've been flashing back some fun plays, moments uh, in BYU history with different guys. That, um, and we want to do that with you. Specifically, the direct snap play in 08 at Utah. Now, this is completely intent to deceive and it works this year. But the next year, it was called uh, illegal. I think they changed the the rule, right? So, walk, take us back to the 08 play, and you know Max Hall said, like quotes Anchorman to Austin Collie. Like, walk us through that. Yeah. So, I don't, I, I don't know if it was a Utah game that he. Well, maybe he did. I, I thought it was the Air Force game that he had quoted Anchorman. Um, the, yeah. The oh, the, oh, the next year. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Cause, so it worked against Utah. But I, I do remember, like, during during the week um, when, when we're practicing the play, there was there was a few times where the snaps were a little sketchy, and we, we thought Coach and I was just going to pull it. We were like, all right, he's not going to call it. It's it's not looking great. Um, but we, we, we kept practicing, got into it. So then finally in the game, um, we were down there towards their goal line, ready to score, and – I just remember Max calling the play, and I'm, I think, I, what do we call it, 69 hoes? I think it was. Six, yeah, six, I, uh, 68 hoes. Okay. Um, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, wait, we're really going to run this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm over there, I, like, yeah, obviously lined up back behind him, I don't know how far, and I see him just veer off to the right, and he starts yelling. I can't really hear him because we're in the north end zone at Utah. It's loud as heck. Um and the whole time I'm like, I'm watching him like flailing his arms, yelling, but I, I forget the ball is going to be snapped without anyone saying said, hi, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm watching him go over there. And then the corner of my eyes, see the ball snap. And I look and like, luckily I catch it right in time. It was high too, right? A little bit. It, yeah. yeah. It, it wasn't too bad. I just, yeah, it was dumb of me. I, I, I knew I should have been watching the ball, but. Yeah, good. I mean, got the snap, took off, and I just remember as soon as Max walks away, I watched like Paul Kruger and all these defensive linemen just take a knee and they start looking at Max walk away. And right <laughs> as the ball snapped, 
our O-line just buries everybody. <laughs> ended up walking in. But, it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. It was a good play. A man who has a history of running over Utah players into the end zone. <laughs> Harvey Unga. Yes. Outstanding stuff, man. Hey, uh, we appreciate the update on the running backs group. Uh, always nice to catch up with you, and it's good to see you back in the office. Appreciate it. Thanks, you guys. Always good to see you guys. You got it. Harvey Unga on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why. We show how. That's great. We're going we're gonna to have to clear up with Max like what, because the story is that Max goes over to Austin, and maybe it was the next year, but I thought it was 08. We'll see. And, and he, said, he quotes Jack Black's uh, line in Anchorman where he says, Did you just throw a burrito out your window at me, bro? <laughs> to Austin. And then the snap comes to Harvey and he goes in. <laughs> So random. Like, he's so chill in that moment. By the way, BYU's ranked 14th. Utah's ranked 7th. This is the most epic matchup in BYU football history. They're both in the top 15. And Utah's undefeated. BYU's trying to end that. End that. And BYU only has one loss at the time. And at that point, after Harvey scores, it's still a close game. Unfortunately, the second half happened. Yeah. Maybe BYU had two losses. Yeah, it, it gets out of hand, but hilarious story. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. We've still got about three minutes, so we're going to jam-pack some stuff into it, including the best to wear it. We're counting up to 99. You know the drill, one number each show. We're determining who was the best athlete to wear each number at BYU. It is number 31 today. It's Ken Roberts of BYU Basketball. Ken Roberts, the younger brother of Fred. Kind of carried that legacy on. 15th in points all time in BYU history. I think some people forget about uh, Kenneth, Kenny, Ken Roberts. Uh, scored 16.52 points. Uh, 13 a game, shot 55%. Uh, top 20 in points, rebounds, steals, assists, blocks, and field goal percentage. So he, he was good. Two-time first-team all-whack. I know he's into uh, coaching and sports psychology now. I've, I've uh, helped... Uh, go to a class his wife teaches at Skyridge High School, which has uh, been really fun. Played professionally in Spain, Portugal, and New Zealand. How about that? Our honorable mention, BYU footballer Rodney Rice, who played in the late 80s. 12 interceptions in his career. Two of them returned for touchdowns. 15 pass breakups, 101 total tackles. There he goes! Rodney Rice, first team all-whack in 88, was a second teamer in 87. Eighth-round draft pick in the 1989 NFL Draft. He played two years in the National Football League for the Patriots and Buccaneers. Was that against Texas, that pick six right there? In 88. That was awesome, man. That was awesome. Here, there he goes again! Rodney Rice into the end zone! And touchdown! I love the hand up. Yeah. Like he knows what's happening 15 yards out. What's oh! up? I love that. Rodney Rice. We forget about Rodney Rice. I didn't know much about Rodney Rice. So many good defensive Great. backs in that era. Rodney Rice, Irvin Lee, Derwin Gray, Tony Crutchfield. They were legit. There were so many. Yeah, so many good players. Now for the most anticlimactic, best to wear it we will ever reveal. We're counting up to 99, one number each show and determining... The best athlete to wear each digit at BYU today. It's number 32. It's James Taft Fredette, a.k.a. the Jimmer. The second leading scorer in BYU history. He was the all-time leading scorer when he left school. Led the nation in points with 1,068 in 2010-11, which is the 11th most in a season in D1 history. Perhaps 
I've called him the greatest missionary in the history of the church because of what he did when technology happened. Happened so, opened so many doors. Fantastic. Uh, most, His life is amazing, Darren. Yes, it is, TJ Fredette. Uh, most threes in BYU history. Uh, second most free throws. Fifth in assists and steals. Uh, six 40-point games. 24 30-point games. I mean, just National Player of the Year in 2011. Son what can on. we say about Jimmer? Oh. We love Jimmer. And it was fun to get to know him as the sideline reporter during his career here and go to Glens Falls twice and uh, get to know the family and everything. So Jimmer's awesome. We love Jimmer. Lottery pick into the NBA. Well, little known fact, with the Bucks, With the Milwaukee Bucks at then number 10. Then he's to the Kings, and then he plays with several other teams. In the and then his general manager and head coach are fired like... Ten games yeah. into the season. Yeah. And uh, he goes to China, and he was in the G League, and, and Panathinaikos in Greece. And, yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. Well, we would be remiss not to mention the honorable mention at number 30. There's no Come need on. to mention any honorable mentions of number jump 30. Up, up. Oh. Oh. Guys. What is this? Guys. 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 They gave it, they gave it to Jimmer. <laughs> what are you, are you doing saying? here? Hello, Dennis. Dennis, what are you, what are you doing here? I hope you're happy, Jerem. Now my kids' hey, day is ruined. Dennis's kids, Jimmer was better than your dad. <laughs> wow! Don't get out of the room. I don't. Yeah, your muffs. I don't want you to hear this, Dennis. Dennis, Dennis I did. My kids were all excited for me. I thought this was going to be the day we had prepared signs and balloons, and I mean. <laughs> Gave it to J- Jimmer. I'm sorry, they're really? disappointed again. Yeah, uh, I did Jimmer. look in the NCAA record book. You still hold the record for most yards by a tight end ever. You had receptions; someone passed you, but you still have yards. That's awesome. Oh, really? Yeah, thanks. So, let's see. I was a consensus All American. I hold virtually every tight end record for BYU. Mm-hmm. I hold an NCAA record, like you mentioned, for most yards by a tight end ever in a career. Um, let's yeah. see what else. Oh, I don't know. It's not good. I, enough. Uh, lost Super Bowl. Got <laughs> <laughs> a touchdown in inside Super Bowl. That's an interesting finger to wear it on too. <laughs> lost catches by a Ravens tight end in a season in the Ravens history. But yeah, let's give it to a guy named Jimmer because Kevin Durant tweeted about him or whatever. I, mean, I don't know. Is that, is that your only criteria for the award? Apparently. Yeah. If only you had won oh, National dude. Player of the Year, Dennis. Hey, you know, Dennis, listen, for the record, I, I was trying, I was trying to give Jerem. you love. Spencer, I expected this from Jerry. I was trying to give you love. <laughs> I thought this was going to be the day where we put all of our beef aside, we're able to celebrate <laughs> me as a player, and we just move on from all this. But you know what? The divide is just greater. It's, it's, it's as great as it's ever been. And oh. well, not only am I disappointed, my kids are disappointed. Dennis, you know, we got to go. We have a minute left in the show. We got to leave. We'll figure this out. Was a hero. We'll figure and this now out. They're walking off. They don't even know who Jimmer is. They've never heard ben, of Ben, cut him off. We got to go. <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> Join the conversation 24 7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. This week's Deep Blue feature follows BYU basketball guard Alex Barcelo and his journey from Arizona to BYU. Plus, it reveals how Mark Pope's recruiting process influenced his decision to ultimately decide on Provo. This is Deep Blue. 
not everybody knows this, but Alex Barcelo is known as a really tough competitor on the court, but off the court, he's like the softest, nicest human being in the world. So thoughtful and caring. That's like the main thing, I guess, is just how caring he is about everybody around him. Zoe, on the other hand, she's tough now. They're a great couple. They really help each other, and it's been beautiful to get to know both of them. Growing up, my dad was pretty hard on me. He got pretty bad. His dad being his coach from such a young age and always being so involved with his basketball career. And as he got older, Alex kind of wanted to be his own player, but his dad was a little bit controlling sometimes in that aspect, so it did cause some problems. Alex had to look good every time he went out to play. Alex had to be uh, appearance-wise. He had to you know, look the part. And that's one of the things that we always tell you, but you're always being valuable. So in side of some of that stuff, you know, there are some good that Alex has out of that. The problem was that the body can only be broken down so much. Alex did not talk to his dad since he went to U of A. Alex came from our high school, Corona, and, you know, he was an amazing player there and did so well, and then he expected the same thing at U of A, and when he got there and he realized that, you know, he wasn't playing as much as he thought he was going to be playing, and it did have like an effect on its confidence. I had some troubles that I went through just like everyone else does in life. And, uh, you know, I feel like God tested me and, and put me through those things to make me stronger and make me a better person and uh, to, to really know what I value in my life. My decision to, to come here was a blessing in disguise. It was just important that he went because it was such a good opportunity for him. And I just knew that he was going to get the opportunity he deserved here at BYU and be treated the way he deserves to be treated. We're so blessed to have him here at BYU. Missed the three. Zach, offensive rebound. Reset to Marcelo for three. He got it! A.B. for three! He was a late comer. He entered the portal this summer. As soon as he did, we jumped on it. And recruiting him was not easy. Not everybody knows this, but... We recruited Alex really hard. We recruited Zoe, his girlfriend, even harder. He would uh, call me or FaceTime me and, and ask to talk to her before he wanted to talk to me. <laughs> I did go on Alex's official visit and just meeting Coach Pope, like you could just tell what a great guy he was and it was everything that Alex was looking for and needed. Coach Pope really genuinely cared about Alex and Alex just kept saying like, you could just tell he's a good guy and he talked to some of the other players and they were all just so happy and the dynamic on the team was just good and just very different from where he came from at U of A. She really helped us and he had a tough decision. He had great schools to, to think about and ultimately chose BYU and I think he's really happy to be here. Alex thought that it was going to be harder, the transition from Arizona to BYU, just because of, you know, religious aspects and everything. But he did grow up very Catholic, so it wasn't as hard as he thought it was going to be. People were even telling him, like, you know, it is very strict there, and so he was kind of nervous. But when he came here, it wasn't that difficult at all. Guys that fit in here are guys that know three things. They know living up to a standard in some form or fashion. They have that in their personal life. They hold themselves accountable to a certain standard. We recruit guys that understand sacrifice, giving up of their own needs and desires for the well-being of the team and their teammates. And we recruit guys that understand that there's something bigger than themselves. And guys that fit in those three categories, whether they're 
Mormon or Muslim or Catholic or Protestant or agnostic, they fit in perfectly here at BYU. Down floor, Alex Barcelo, transition three. He got it! Every time he calls me after practice, he's so happy, which is something that I'm not used to. Him coming from Arizona, he would come over and he would just be so upset about how practice went. But every day he'll call me and he's just so happy and he's like I killed in practice today and I love playing with these guys they're so awesome and he's happy finally he really deserves that What a difference A.B. has already made, and oh, uh, I can't wait to see what he's going to do as part of the ABBA backcourt with Brandon Averett, another transfer who brings in a wealth of experience. He obviously can shoot the three at a very high level, and his intensity and his emotion, he's born to be a leader. Yes, and he was a massive contributor on this team. You had the big three, but you had tremendous role players like Alex Barcelo, like Connor Harding, like Colby Lee, and others. 49% from three is unbelievable, mm. by the way. Ken Palm, number three in the country. And uh, 9.3 a game, 30 steals. He's going to be a starter. He's going to be one of those three seniors. He's the only returning senior on the team, so he is a big-time leader. There are a bunch of shots to be had that are left behind by Jake Toulson, Yoli Childs, and TJ Haas. That percentage may go down a little bit, but uh, let's hope the volume of makes good. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Uh, it's time for the Cougar Whip Round. <laughs> it's time for the Cougar Whip Around. Football. You learn things every day. The D1 NCAA Football Oversight Committee finalizes its summer workout model for the season. July 13th through 23rd, players can participate in up to eight hours a week of conditioning, film review, and weight training. Then July 24th through August 6th, they can add walk on uh, walkthroughs and meetings up to 20 total hours a week. Then uh, August 7th on, uh, they're required to get at least two days off and have a typical five-day acclimation period with up to 25 on-field practices. We are going to have football practice soon. It's all about posture, Jim. BYU has formed a committee to examine race and inequality at the university. I love this. The purpose of the committee is stated in the following quote. The committee will first prioritize opportunities to better listen to and better understand the experiences of black student-athletes, faculty, and staff on campus to help inform uh, adjustments and changes that can assist BYU in being a more safe and welcoming place for BYU's community members of color, end quote. There are currently eight appointed committee members, including Stephanie Perkins of Women's Track. That committee will meet for the first time this week. Volleyball. Furious all-time dig leader Mary Lake is named a 2019-2020 West Coast Conference Scholar Athlete of the Year. Recognizing athletes who excel in their sport as well as academics, community service, and have completed their college eligibility. Off the block names Taylor Sander as the best to ever wear number 15 in men's volleyball during the 25-point rally scoring era. That's from 2011 to now. Sander set program records in kills and career races, a two-time MPSF Player of the Year. He also helped the Cougars make an appearance in the NCAA Tournament Finals. His younger brother, Brendan, named an honorable mention on that list. Amen. Golf. Patrick Fishburne returns to the Corn Ferry Tour at the King and Bear Classic in St. Augustine, Florida. Fishburne's one under after day one and is scheduled to tee off for round two this afternoon. Back to you, Spencer, on four. This course is electric. Let's roll out Top 5 Tuesday presented by Delta. 
keep climbing. And this week's top five features the best broadcast calls in BYU sports history. Number five, 2015 season, first Nebraska. That's coming up in a minute, spoiler alert. But uh, the second game of the season, Boise State, Tanner Mangum to Mitchell Jurgens. Here's the call. Pressure from behind. Mangum flips it into the end zone. We've seen this before. Touchdown, BYU! We've seen this before. It's such a good call in the air. Look at Guy Holiday. Just yeah. amazing. And the star man from Jurgens. So good. Love it. Number four, Jimmer Fredette. Oh, he's had his fair share of incredible moments that produced amazing calls. But nothing tops his half-court shot before halftime in Salt Lake City against Utah in early 2011. Four seconds left on the clock. Greg Rebell has the call. 50-42, to 42, BYU by 8, into Jimmer with 4, and with 3, and with 2. Jimmer from 40 feet, got it! He got it! Oh, what can we say? Did we just see that? I mean, what that was- can we say? 32 in the half by Jimmer Fredette. So good. Number three, most of you remember the Miracle Bowl, a.k.a. the 1980 Holiday Bowl. And here it is, the Hail Mary that beat SMU in that game. Jim McMahon to Clay Brown. Down by six now, three seconds left. Third and ten at the SMU 41-yard line. McMahon all the way back at his own 46, throwing for the end zone. Receivers are there, defenders are there. It is in the end zone. Who has the ball? I love that Cosmo just jumps in there. Just in the pile. He's always in the mix. At number two, as promised, the second play from 2015, a week before Boise State. After Taysom Hill exits the game, Tanner Mangum, fresh off his mission trip, leading BYU to one of the most improbable wins in BYU football history. Sean McDonough on the call. Three-man rush. Mangum, all kinds of time. Steps into the throw, in the wind, down to the goal line, and caught! Touchdown, BYU! Mitch Matthews on the last play of the game! So good. That call is perfect. It really Aaron is. Aaron Houck hug as well. And number one, back to Harleen, 2006. They have a three-deep zone. They have McCain up on Harleen, but they have someone behind him. They have to go to the end zone. Final play of the game, barring a penalty, all the time in the world for Beck. Can anybody get open for him? He'll roll right, lets it go, finds his guy, touchdown! BYU swarms the field! A lot of, still the greatest sporting event I've ever witnessed live. A lot of Bronco running in that. Was awesome. <laughs> Those are your top five broadcast calls of BYU Sports history. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, on BYU TV and BYU Radio.